All right, so Christmas is in two weeks, and Christmas is the time where you get all stressed out to show people that you love them by buying them gifts. Now, let's say instead you decided to do this, that you said to someone, I found the perfect gift for you. I found it. It's the perfect gift for you. And they were all excited about this perfect gift that you found for them. And so Christmas time came, and they gave you a gift, and they wanted to make sure it was a good gift because you said you were giving them the perfect gift. So they gave you this gift, and you open it, and you say, this is wonderful. This is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly what I need. Thank you. And then there's this awkward pause because they're waiting for you to give them the gift that you said was so great for them, and you say, oh, I'm no, 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 no. I found the perfect gift for you. It's at the store. It's on aisle eight. It costs about $400. All you have to do is go pick it up and pay for it, and it's yours. And you would say, and the person would say, wait, that's not how this works. See, in order to give someone a gift, it has to be yours first. So you go to the store, you make the exchange, and legally it becomes your gift. If someone steals that gift, out of your car, they haven't stolen it from the person you're giving it to. They've stolen it from you. You have to have the gift first before you can give it to someone else. Now, I want to switch gears and say, when we think about a life that is well-lived, we would characterize it as a life that is filled with love for others. You want to say, that's a good life lived. This is a life that has been filled with love for others. If you had all the money in the world and you didn't do anything with that money to help others, people would say, well, that's not a life well lived because it wasn't a life that was filled with love for others. Or if you had this great house, but you never brought anybody over to the house, you would say, well, you just told other people, here's my house, here's how great it is, here's how you can get a house like this, but you never brought anyone over. You say, well, that's, that's and you're not using the house for love. Now, what I want to propose is that usually, if we haven't loved others well, it's because we aren't really sure if anything's, if we aren't really sure everything's going to be okay for us. If we haven't loved others well, we're not really sure everything is going to go pay, be okay for us. We can't give something to someone because we're not really sure we're going to have it. So in order to give something, you've got to have it first. But if you're not sure you're going to have something, you hoard everything. You don't share it. You're not generous with your life because you don't want to lose something that you might not keep, that you might not have. So we can't really live this life, this loving life, if we aren't really sure everything's going to go be okay for us because we can't be generous with our lives. And it's only, listen, it's only when we know everything's going to be okay for us that we are now in the right condition to be able to love the way we're meant to love, to live the life that we would say, man, that is a life that is well lived. In our toy box, uh, our, our youngest is playing, um, and he pulls out the Santa. I don't know why it's in our toy box, but he pulls it up. He holds it in the air, so excited, and he says, look, Daddy, God. And I said, oh, I have failed you, Kale. I have failed you. I am so sorry. But do you know what? We do the same thing. 
that he did. We do the same thing with God. We have this idea about, he has this idea about Santa's watching him, and we have the same thing that we think God is watching everything, everything that we're doing. He sees us when we're sleeping. He knows when we're awake. He knows if we've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And we hope he doesn't know what's going on in our thoughts, but if he does, if he sees everything, then we know we've been exposed. We know that we have been seen. So the question is, is God like Santa? Is there this naughty and nice list? And the question is, are we really on display? For, I mean, are we exposed before God? And if we are, what do we do about that? So that's what Jesus is telling us today. We're in John 14. We're going to read verses 16, and then we're going to jump over to verse 25 through 31. So here we go. And I, this is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you do I give you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you might believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So verse 16, Jesus says, it is good for you that I leave you, because when I leave you, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper. Now, Here's what this means. We have two helpers. He says, send you another helper. So we have one helper. The first helper is Christ. The second helper is the Spirit of God. And the Greek word here, for, this is so important to understand, the Greek word for helper here is paraclete. Now, this word is absolutely packed with meaning. So if you look at different English, English translations of this word in the Bible, different, different Bible English translations, you're going to see the word helper, you're going to see the comforter, you're going to see encourager, and you're going to see advocate. And the reason that there are so many different words that are being used to try to get across what this word is saying is because we don't have the English word that will capture all the meaning behind this word paraclete. So I want to explain it to you a little bit because if you miss this, you're going to miss everything else. A paraclete is someone who stands for you. They fight for you. They help you. They they defend you. They are an advocate for you. And that's the word we're going to focus in on here, advocate. So an advocate, what's an advocate? An advocate is someone that represents you in a courtroom. They fight for you in a courtroom. An advocate is someone who makes a case for you so that you can be innocent and then go free. An advocate's like a lawyer, a lawyer who's building a case for your innocence. And an advocate says to Santa Claus, 
this person is on the nice list, and my son could really use an advocate right now because he is really worried about what's going to happen on Christmas. He does not want coal. He wants to make sure that he's getting something good. What he needs right now so badly in his mind is someone fighting for him. He needs an advocate. And so the picture we have here, picture this. We're all in this courtroom. We're in this courtroom. We put ourselves in this courtroom the same way my son has put himself in the courtroom, and we have been seen. All of our thoughts, all of the things that we do in private that we would never want anyone to know about, all of our actions have been exposed. See, we can put on a show for a while. We can put a show on really, really well. But what if our worst nightmare comes true and we stand in that courtroom exposed? All of our thoughts, all the things we would want no one to ever know about that we have done, all of the thoughts in our minds, even the motives behind what we do, the motives, the things that we do that seem good on the outside, but on the inside, there's something going on within us that maybe we would not want people to see. What do we do when a magnifying glass has been put up to our lives in every single way? Look, when someone, is, when someone is found guilty in a courtroom, listen to this, listen. When someone is found guilty in a courtroom, what do they immediately do? Before they go to court, what do they do? They look for someone. They look for an advocate. They look for a lawyer. And at the courtroom, we all stand in. All of us are going to stand in. It's not a local courtroom. It's not a federal courtroom. It is the divine courtroom. And if, if we will stop pushing that out of our mind and pushing it out of our heart, and embrace the reality of a divine courtroom, immediately what we're going to do is we're going to look for the best advocate that there is. We want the best one. So we're going to seek out an advocate. And what I want you to see, what I want you to see is that typically what we do is we make ourselves our own advocates. This is, this is our first typical response. We see what's coming and we say, I better be an advocate for myself. And we have this picture in our mind. You know, we see this in movies where someone is going to go to court and someone is bold enough to not get their own lawyer, but they're going to be, to not get a lawyer, but they're going to be their own lawyer. And, and they're seen as heroic to us in a way. They're seen as this person that's clever enough to beat the system. And they're heroic to us because really that's what we're doing in the divine courtroom. We are becoming our own advocates. So here's what I want to show you. I want to show you here are the ways we're being our own advocates. And here's how it ends up playing out for us. So the first thing that we do to try to be our own advocates is we diminish this divine view of what is right and wrong. We diminish justice. We diminish, you could even say, God's law. And so here's what we say. We, we make it lax. We take the divine law and, and we push it down. Um, we make it flexible. We make it just this guideline and we say, I know that this is the right and wrong way to live. I know what it is, but what you have to understand is my life has been hard. What you have to understand is this is the deck of cards that I've been dealt, and it's a hard deal. So that's why I am the way that I am. If you, we say, if you only knew what happened to me in my life, you would understand why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. 
what are we doing here when we do this? We're advocating for ourselves. We're making a case for ourselves. We're becoming a lawyer for ourselves. And, and maybe, this, maybe this is what happened. You started off, you know, we're coming up on the new year. We're going to have all these New Year's resolutions. So maybe you said, okay, this is the way I'm going to live. I'm going to commit to living this way now. And so we, you set your moral compass. You say, this is how I'm going to be. And then you slip up a little bit. And then you slip up a little more and you say, okay, I need to shift my moral compass a little bit because I keep on messing up a little bit here and a little bit there. So I've got to make things go lax a little bit. What you've done, I mean, you've changed your moral compass. And I want, you to expl- I want to explain to you what's just happened. You have become numb. You know, I, I do this too. We become numb to the divine law. We have, in a sense, lost our innocence. We think about a child, we think about a child as being innocent. Now, I'm not saying that they're not bad. I'm not saying that they're not doing things that are driving you crazy and being a pain in the butt. But what I'm saying is they aren't yet numb to the things that we have become numb to. We have numbed ourselves to things that they have yet to numb, our, numb themselves to. So we see the evil in our world. We see death. We see marriages break up, and we see ourselves. We see ourselves even mess up, and we've seen all of these things enough that we numb ourselves to it all. Say, oh, it's just another divorce. Or if you live in Chicago, there's a high murder rate in Chicago. So if you live there and you put the news on, you're going to see murder every single night you put the news on and you're going to become numb to it. But if you live in the small little town where no one is murdered, when someone is murdered in that town and you live there, it has a profound impact on that town because they are still innocent to it all. They haven't become numb to murder the way that people in Chicago have become numb to it because it's on the news all the time. Or another suicide bomber bombs on this side of the world. And we say, oh, look, it's happened again. And, and we keep seeing it. And then we become surprised, like, why am I not more affected by this happening? You know, but when a child finds out that their parents are getting a divorce, the child say, well, what's going on? Why is this happening? And, and the parents say, oh, you, you'll understand when you're older. You'll understand when you get older, you're, this is going to all make sense to you. This is just the things that adults do sometimes. And the child's like, wait, what? Here's why. They are not yet numb to it all. They know something. Listen to this, listen to this. They know something that we have forgotten. Life is meant to be a certain way. Life is meant to be a certain way. I want to take my boys to watch the Star Wars movie, but I heard that it's a little bit darker, it's a little bit more warlike than the ones before, and so I'm probably not going to take them. Why? Because they aren't yet numb to death that's happening all over the place in the movie. It has a major impact on them because they're still innocent. They're not numb to it all. And they know, they see that, and it messes with them because they know life isn't supposed to be this way. There's not supposed to be death in life. There's not supposed to be hurt. There's not supposed to be pain. See, and, and two, I want you to see this. Here's what happens when we become numb. Here's what we're doing. We're self-soothing ourselves. We're diminishing God's definition of what life is meant to be like. 
We've diminished justice. You know, justice is the righting of wrongs. We've diminished it. We've said, oh, God understands that I've had a hard life. God understands that I don't really love my spouse anymore. God understands that sometimes I need to ignore this part about what God says is the right or wrong way to live because I'm different than other people. I've had a harder life. So in order to advocate for ourselves, we're, we're, we're in a sense self-soothing, and we say God is flexible on what is right and wrong. And the question we have to ask is this. Is he, though? Or have we just told ourselves that to self-soothe as a way to not have to deal with this image of this courtroom that's causing us anxiety in our life? And so we say, ah, no, 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 no. No, that's not the way it's going to be. We don't want that anxiety. And so we push it out. We become numb to it. And I want you to know, I want you to know, if you have done this, which we all have done this, I want you to know that here's what you've just done. You have created a world that you will hate. You have created a world where things will never be the way they're meant to be. See, as soon as you start being flexible on God's justice, on what is right and wrong, you've started this downward spiral of things getting worse and worse. And you say, okay, I'm going to be flexible here. And then, okay, I messed up. I'm going to be flexible again. And the next thing you know, you're becoming okay with things that you were never okay with before. No one wants this. Ju- no one, justice is about everything being the way it's supposed to be, and no one wants this more than God does, but we're diminishing his view of justice, and things will never be right. And here's what this has done. This has created a world that isn't worth fighting for anymore. It's a world that says it's okay to do wrong. But if someone does you wrong, God says, oh, you know what? I've gone lax on justice. And we say, no, wait, that's not right. This is not a world we want for our kids. This is not a world we want for our loved ones. When I think about my daughter, I don't want to think about a world that's okay with pornography and a world that's okay with objectifying women. But in order to advocate, be an advocate for ourselves, we say, well, if lust is wrong, then every man in the earth is guilty. And so what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to smudge a little bit. We're going to have to move a little bit over. But what we've now done is we've created a world that is okay for women to be objectified. Do you see what's happened? And in these verses, they talk about having peace. This word peace is about flourishing. It's about life being the way that it's meant to be. But if we go lax on what is right and wrong, then we never get the world we long for. Peace is gone. It's unachievable. And it's a world we don't want. And peace also, peace is about being able to stand in this courtroom guiltless, to stand before God knowing that you're innocent, that your record is good, it's cleared. That gives you peace in life. That's why you're anxious all the time, because you don't want to step into that courtroom, because you know you've been exposed. But peace is about being able to stand there knowing everything's going to be okay. So this is the second way we advocate for ourselves. See, here's what we do. We diminish the law, and we intellectually we say, wait, that's going to give me a world I don't want. Okay, let me do this. Let me pull my life together. 
let me get my life in order a bit. And so this is the second way we start advocating for ourselves. Here's what we do. We turn to religion. We say, ah, I need a list of things that are right and wrong that I can keep because I know if I'm going to get to that courtroom, I got to start making a case for myself. I got to be able to say, hey, I know I messed up in the past, but look at me, I'm trying now. So that's what, that's what a lawyer would do. Oh, this person is trying now. So we start doing that. We're turning to religion in an attempt to make our record look better. Now, eventually, here's what you've got to know. If you turn to religion, eventually, you're going to go lax again. Because you can't meet the standards that that religion has set for you. So you're going to start smudging things again. The crazy thing is that the people that we think of as like the most holy, these most religious people, when you look at God's view of justice, when you look at God's view of how he wants this world to be, these crazy holy people, they don't even meet the standard. So what does that mean for normal people like us? Look, God demands justice because he looks at every girl the same way we look at our daughters, and we don't want to see a world where objectifying women is okay. God is a God that demands justice because he looks at every girl like she is his daughter. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He's not a jolly fat man who likes cookies. He's the God of justice, and he demands it. And so then the third way we advocate for ourselves is we say, man, I got to get out of here. <laughs> My court date's coming up. I'm running from God. I'm running from this court date. I'm going to flee the country and get out of here because I'm not going to meet the standards. So we say that, or we say, maybe this is how, maybe this is a way we've run from God. We say, okay, this is how I've gone lax on what is right and wrong, and we've moved over a little bit, but then our world is falling apart, and we say, God, how could you give us a world like this? And he says, this is not me. My justice has not been met. That's why things are the way they are. It's not me. It's us laxing on what is right and wrong, and it's created this world the way that it is. I w Here's what I want you to know. I spent a lot of time here, and I've been pressing on you really hard. And here's what I want you to know. There is another way. So you can breathe for a second. There's another way. There is a great advocate who changes all of this for us. This is the advocate we're searching for, and he came for you. But you have to stop being your own advocate, and you have to let him be one for you, the great advocate. So the first great advocate is Christ. Christmas is not joyful because there's an eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus sitting in a manger that we can get all nostalgic about. Talladega Nights reference. Christmas is Christmas because now we are not alone in the courtroom. The king of heaven has come into the courtroom to be an advocate for us. That's why Christmas is Christmas. And I hope at this point you're realizing that if you're in this courtroom alone, you are either guilty or you, if, if, we, if God for some reason starts laxing, starts smidging on what is right and wrong, then it's going to give you a world that you don't want. But Christianity will not do that. 
Christianity will not change what is right and wrong. It's written, and it's not to be moved. It's not to be tampered with. We're in the court. Here's what that means. We're in the courtroom. Every single one of us, we stand there guilty. But here it is. Don't miss this. Instead of arguing a case for you, Instead of going in and saying, oh, you don't understand, Father. You have to understand their life. They had a hard life. Or instead of saying, Jesus, instead of Jesus saying, oh, they've changed. Here's what he says. Let justice reign. And that terrifies us because we don't realize something he's already done. He's come into the world. And he has lived perfectly. And here's what he did. He took his perfect record. And he says, here, it's yours. Take it. And then he says, I'm going to take your record. Give me your record. Give me it. And then he says, he goes up to the judge, up to the jury, and he says, I demand justice. Do you see what he's now done? He's saying what all of the wrong, all of the wrong that has happened in this world, the punishment that's coming for it, let it come on me. And you go and take my freedom. You walk out of this courtroom free. This is why people love Jesus. Not because he's an eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus in a manger. Because he has accomplished something that could never be accomplished by anybody else for you. He is for you. This means justice is upheld and we still get the world we long for because he satisfied justice on our behalf and then giving us this world of freedom where we can be free. There's a famous preacher, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's passed away now, but what he used to do is if he met somebody new that came into his office, he would say, are you a Christian? And he said, if they said, I'm trying to be, he said and he knew immediately that they weren't because you don't try to be a Christian. Christianity is not some list of rules to follow. Christianity is about having an advocate and you either have an advocate or you don't. You either say, be my advocate or you say, I'm going to be my own advocate. It's either, it's either he is or he isn't. Christianity is not about working up a list of good things that you've done. And I want to say this, look at, like, just look at all religions, look at what they're saying, all religions outside of Christianity, I'm just telling you what they're saying, is they're saying, be an advocate for yourself. Give, here's a list of rules to do and don't do. Here's a list of things to do and don't do. Now go follow them. Build a case for yourself. And Christianity says something completely opposite of that. Religion says do. Christianity says done. On the cross, Jesus cries out, it is finished. Here's what that means. Everything's been accomplished for us. He's for us. He's advocated for us. Everything that we needed in that courtroom to be seen as innocent, go free, he accomplished for us and then he gave it to us. If you're advocating for yourself, you, listen, if you're wondering why you feel guilty all the time, like you're not measuring up, 
It's because you are being your own advocate. You need a greater one. If you make Christ your advocate, there is no reason to feel guilt in this life. Guilt has no place in the Christian's life. Conviction is different. Conviction is saying, oh, I ought to change. But there's no guilt in that. There's just joyful change. They're just, okay, I'm going to live different now. I don't have to feel guilty about the things that I've done. I can feel convicted, but I don't feel guilt. So now how do we secure him as our advocate? How do we take hold of him? How do we find this great advocate that everybody's talking about, the greatest lawyer, you just need him? How do you get him? Here's how. The second advocate, the second helper, that's why this says helper for the spirit, the second advocate secures him for you. And here's how. This is what the second advocate is doing. This Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, here's what, here's what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is saying, realize. You, it, this, <laughs> someone needs an advocate. Um, the Spirit is convincing you that you are alone in that courtroom. The Spirit is urging you deep inside to look for a greater advocate to finally go to him. And then also, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know, something that happens to you is you go out into freedom and you find yourself feeling guilty all the time. The second advocate says, remember the courtroom. The second advocate is reminding you of the courtroom. The second advocate, the spirit, is making the courtroom experience vivid in your mind so you will never forget it. You know, when you go to uh, a, this grand destination, like the Grand Canyon, when you leave, they have all of this art, all these photos that you can take, postcards, whatever you want that you can take. And those are all there, or you buy them. Those are all there so that you might remember the experience. Well, the Holy Spirit is this divine artist that is painting vivid pictures in your mind playing songs to you in your heart so that you might remember the courtroom and what happened there. You know, these songs we sing, this art that we see, it is a gift to us to remember the courtroom, but the, the art and the songs, they don't come alive to you until the Spirit says, remember. Yeah, so many of you, you're Christians, and you're tired of feeling guilty Joe, I was waiting for Joe. Uh, you're feeling guilty, and here's why. You're not remembering the courtroom. You're not remembering what was accomplished for you. And some of you want to see this picture. And what you've got to do is you've got to go to the Spirit and say, you know, listen, just be open-minded for a minute. Go to the Spirit and say, show me what happened in this courtroom. This is true, show it to me. It's playing songs, painting pictures of what happened. And it's, it, the Spirit is saying, remember. Either see this for the first time or remember it for the millionth time. The Christian needs most in their lives is to remember what happened in the courtroom. Now, now I really want you to see here. I want you to listen. I want, be open-minded. 
and think about the second advocate and listen. Because right now, the second advocate is saying, remember you're running from God. Remember all the ways that you've diminished the law to make a case for yourself. Remember all the ways that you felt like you haven't measured up. Remember that. And then the Spirit says, now remember what happened in the courtroom. That the cross is meant for everyone who hears the guilty verdict. And Jesus takes that cross out of their hands and makes it his own. And then he sends us out into freedom. And the Spirit is saying, make that alive. The Spirit is making that picture alive in you. I'm just saying, leave advocating for yourself behind because there's a greater advocate. And if you will, you will experience rest. You will experience peace. Your worries of this courtroom experience are laid aside. And then you can say, Bring the courtroom on. Let justice reign because I know what the verdict already is. Christ has secured it for me. And then when you do that, you'll realize you're out of the courtroom and you're in freedom and you can be at rest and you can be at peace and you can now wait for Christ to come and bring you the world that you've always longed for. There's coming a day. The great promise is God's coming into the world. Well, there's another great promise and he's coming back again. And that promise is saying, this is not fairy tales. Look, read what all is promised in the Old Testament. Challenge yourself with that. See how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. There's a great promise that everything one day is gonna be made right. This new heavens and this new earth where heaven and earth are woven together. The great advocate has come and he's been born into this world and he's advocating for you even now. Peace between God and man because of this great advocate. Let's pray.